jumping right in, we're going to enter into our time of the word. But I have a great opportunity and privilege to not preach today. Amen. Let the church say amen. Um, Abraham and Vanessa, they came to the church, and they've been such a blessing to my life personally. And to see him, not only as when you get somebody that comes in gifted, and God wants to take them to another level, and sometimes um, that other level requires a process. Anybody being processed right now? And it's not even man testing you or processing you, but it's, it's God sending you through a process to reveal things in you and to help you grow and mature for the next season. Because if God puts you in a place too soon, not just to preach, but if God puts you in a place too soon and there's undeveloped things in you, a blessing becomes a curse. If you give your 12-year-old kid a car, a blessing becomes a curse. But I want to say this today, that I want us to be a ministry of body. Not, we don't want to be a bobblehead ministry where it's one big head and one small body, where one dude is saying all the stuff all the time. But I want everybody in this house to know you are a seed that's been planted in a ground. And everyone here has a gift. And everyone in here, God wants to use you in an amazing way. Um, so I'm really pleased and honored, not only to just honor Vanessa, and I know she was singing some extra worship today because her husband's preaching. I felt it. She was prepared. She's like, go ahead and lift your hands and open your heart. Get ready to receive a word like you've never received before. So thank you, Vanessa, for that. But we want to welcome, if you would welcome and stand on your feet and welcome with me, Abraham Rodriguez. Hey, thank you, church, this morning. Um, can, we, uh, can we give it up for our incredible pastors uh, that we have here at our church? Um, it's a huge honor for me this morning to be preaching the word today and, and share the pulpit of not only uh, Pastor TJ, but also Pastor Sergio. And, and so the opportunity to be here this morning um, to share the word is uh, very special to me, and, and um, I, I don't take it for granted. But also to Pastor uh, Christian and Pastor Angela, who are also amazing supports here at our church. We love you guys so much. Um, I, I began calling Pastor Christian uh, my rabbi because he is immensely just enriched in the Old Testament. And so if you ever read something and you're like, what in the world does that mean? Go ask him, and uh, I guarantee you eight out of ten times he'll know what it means. So it's pretty good if you ask me. But uh, to Pastor TJ and Pastor uh, Carissa, we love you guys so much. And um, it was actually at this time, or actually in October, where we met them in the parking lot in National City. And um, God knew, whew, I haven't even started preaching yet, God already crying. But God knew who I needed to be aligned with to go through that process that he mentioned. And um, he's, he's stayed with me through the process and something that I've learned personally is that if you will submit yourself to the process, then you'll find yourself in the favor of that process. And so I honor you guys so much. Thank you so much for your love and support um, to my family. Um, man, are you guys good to be in the house of God today? Are you thankful to be here today? Thank God for a three-day weekend. And praise God. Amen. Anybody? Three-day weekend? Yeah. A few people in the house. Awesome. We'll pray for you, those that are going to work on Monday. Um, but, hey, let's open up our Bibles. 
We're going to read today from the book of 1 Chronicles, chapter 13. If you don't have your Bible, pull out your phone, your tablet, whatever you've got today. Um, and uh, that'll help you follow along. Also, we'll have it on the screen for you. First Chronicles chapter 13. We're in um, a series right now called A Heart for God's House. And, and this is our, our, second, um, our second message of the series. And so uh, we're going to uh, go through it today. First uh, Chronicles chapter 13. Verses 1 through 14. Uh, I'm reading it from the NIV in my Bible, but up on the screen, it's the New Living Translation. So some words might be a little different. It says, David conferred with each of his officers, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds. He then said to the whole assembly of Israel, if it seems good to you, and if it is the will of the Lord our God, let us send word far and wide to the rest of our brothers throughout the territories of Israel and also to the priests and Levites who are with them in their towns and pasture lands, to come and join us. Let us bring back the ark of God back to us, for we did not inquire of it or we neglected it during the reign of Saul. The whole assembly agreed to this because it seemed right to all the people. So David assembled all the Israelites from the Shehor River in Egypt to Lebo, Hamath, to bring the ark of God from Kiriath-Jerim. David and all the Israelites went with him to Bala of Judah to bring up from the ark of the Lord, who is enthroned between the cherubim, the ark that is called by the name. They moved the ark of God from Abinadab's house on a new cart with Usa and Ahio guiding it. Usa. I don't think that's where that comes from, but kind of sounds like it. Usa. David and all the Israelites were celebrating with all their might before God with songs and with harps, lyres, tambourines, cymbals, and trumpets. When they came to the threshing floor of Kidon, Usa reached out his hand to steady the ark because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Usa, and he struck him down because he had put his hand on the ark. So he died there before God. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Usa, and to this day that place is called Perez Usa. David was afraid of that of God that day and asked, How can I ever bring the ark of God to me or to my house? He did not take the ark to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it inside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in the house for three months, and the Lord blessed his household and everything he had. Every, everybody say everything he had. Hey, can we pray one more time, church? I'm going to invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads just for privacy and concentration today. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that we are in your house, Lord, that we are in your presence. We thank you, God, that your spirit and your presence lives inside of us. Lord, we thank you for the fellowship of the believers that are here today, that, Lord Jesus, amongst this is where we find love, we find communion, we find community, Lord. Jesus, I pray today that, Lord, your word would go forth, Lord, and that it wouldn't just be a word of inspiration, but it would be a word of transformation. That, Lord God, we would not just leave encouraged, but also, Lord God, um, challenged to, Lord Jesus, step out in our walk and in our faith with you. To develop, Lord Jesus, who you have called and destined us to be. 
Heavenly Father, I pray your hand rests upon my voice, God, and, and just get me out of the way, Lord. Let your spirit, God, be heard more than anything else. In Jesus' name we pray. And can everybody say amen? You can grab your seats this morning. Amen. I read a story one time, and it was um, about a pastor who had who had bought a horse from somebody in his church, and and the the man told his pastor, he said, "All right, pastor, you have to realize that this this horse is really really special. This has been something that I've taken care of for a very long time, and I need you to take care of it too. And this is how the horse works, pastor. He says, to get it going, to get it moving, you say, praise the Lord." And he said, to get it to stop, you say, amen. He said, you got it, pastor. And he said, I got it. I got it. I'll take care of it. Don't worry. I'm, I'm going to treat it well. So the pastor ends up galloping along with the, you know, the, the horse is taken off. And he says, praise the Lord, because he's in a pasture land and he wants to take off. So he starts going and he realized that the horse is heading straight for a cliff. And so he begins to try to stop the horse. Whoa, whoa, heel. Whoa, boy. He's trying everything that he can do to try to stop the horse. And then he finally remembers the word that he's supposed to say, and he says, amen. So the horse stops right at the edge of the cliff, and the, horse, and the, the pastor says, praise the Lord. And whoosh. So I want to talk to you this morning about there being a right way to praise the Lord. I'm just kidding, Pastor TJ. He's probably like, come on, man, get, get with it. No, but really, we just read a story in the book of Chronicles, and I asked uh, the media team to uh, get a, a photo together for me. So, Kenny, can we put up that first photo for us today? I'm a visual person, so for me, this is, this is the Ark of the Covenant. So if you've never really researched and looked into it, this is actually what they were carrying on the oxen. And so if we can show that next photo, Kenny. This is actually what was happening. There was two oxen. There was the ark of, of God, which the cherubim, which was two angels on top of it. The presence of God rested on top of it. Inside of it were the, the, uh, the Ten Commandments, the, the uh, staff of Aaron that budded, and also uh, manna that, that was placed inside of this ark. And so this is what's happening in this scene that we just read in Chronicles. And, and surrounding this caravan, if you will, are people. They're celebrating. They're excited because for years they have neglected the presence of God. And so David begins to take it in triumph on the way to his house. And everybody's excited. They're playing instruments. You can imagine Matt with a keyboard around his neck, kind of jamming as they're going along. Vanessa and Sarah just kind of jamming, you know, with their, with their buns up and just kind of, you know, moving and grooving. And, you know, David is in the back just like, you know, just, just staying. David, we can't really see him, but, you know, he's back there. So this is the scene that's happening. And what happens is that the ark begins because it's on this cart, which is a whole nether discussion, right, Pastor Christian, in itself, that they weren't actually even supposed to be carrying it this way. But what happens is that they're on the ark, and this little wooden wagon begins to kind of shift and begins to move around. And so Usa, who's actually included um, uh, into, in the caravan, he reaches out to touch it because it's about to tip over, and, and this thing is not supposed to touch the ground. And so Usa begins to receive the judgment of God or the wrath of God, and, and, and he falls to his death. And today we're going to talk more a little bit about that. But what happens is, is uh, David then says to himself, how can I take this home with me? 
this person who did his best to try to reach out for it and take care of it, it harmed him. And how can I take this to my family's house? Why would I want something that is going to proclaim instruction and judgment over my life? Why would I want to bring that to my house? I know what we'll do. Hey, you, Obed, we're taking it to your house. Me? Could could you imagine being Obed-Edom in that moment? In the midst of seeing this person fall over, you can take down the photo, fall over and, 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 you know, receive the judgment of God. How, think about it, if you will. Why, why Obed-Edom? Why did David choose him, or, or more so, why did David inspire, I'm sorry, why did God inspire David to choose Obed-Edom? If it's me, I would be like, I'm good, David. You can pick the next guy. I think his house is a lot cleaner and nicer. I don't really have much. I don't think you should bring it over to my house. But Obed-Edom, there was something, I'm not sure why, about him, but he chooses and accepts the presence of God into his home. And the Bible says that everything he had was blessed because of it. In your outline, it says God didn't bless Obed-Edom because he was the most qualified, but God blessed Obed-Edom because he saw his heart for his house. I believe today, church, that God isn't searching for the perfect person or the perfect candidate to be a representation of his grace and mercy in our life. But what he's looking for is somebody with a willing heart to say, God, I know that there will be different seasons of life, but I'm willing to allow your spirit to transform me and be who I was always called to be. Because so many times we struggle, church, and we come and we hear messages on a Sunday morning. We think to ourselves, no, that's not me. I'm not aligned right perfectly just yet. These blessings and favors that we're talking about and that is proclaimed through Scripture, that can't be me. I'm not right yet. But God is just saying if there is just be a, a part of your heart that believes that that is when redemption happens. That is when healing and restoration happens. God is looking for a willing heart, I believe, today. You see, the amazing thing about this is that the parallel in Scripture is that Obed-Edom was not even an Israelite. Matter of fact, he was a part of the enemies of the Israelite in his lineage. He was actually a part of the Philistine lineage, which if you remember, David and his fight with Goliath. So he wasn't even actually in the actual family that could have actually taken it home with him. This is a type and shadow in the New Testament, if you remember, where Jesus comes to proclaim the message of the gospel and that he is the Messiah, and people begin to reject him. So then what does he do? He says, then we need to share it amongst the Gentiles, which is you and I. We get to be included into the story of redemption because somebody's heart was willing to reject it, and so somebody who was willing to accept it begins to receive that story of hope. Can we get an amen for story, the story of hope today? Amen. One hopeful person. Praise God. Number one in your outline, how your heart for God's house blesses your house. Your house is blessed when, number one, you're willing to protect your heart from becoming over-familiar with God's house. Also in your outline, the oxen stumbled and Usa reached out his hand to steady the ark. Then the Lord's anger was aroused against Usa and he struck him dead because he had laid his hand on the ark. And so how do we become over-familiar, church, with God's house? How is it that a place full of hope full of love, full of destiny, could become a place full of apathy. 
How is it that Jacob could be in the midst of his family and lineage and, and be so lost in running from his past that it would have, take a revelation for God for him to say, how awesome is this place that as Pastor TJ was encouraging last Sunday that we can come Sunday after Sunday expecting for the church house to transform our lives. But really what it is is us allowing ourselves to be submitted to the word of God. You see, this happens when our relationship with God becomes routine. And I believe one reason is because, church, we've misunderstood what the church actually is today. You see, the church is actually you and I. The church is actually you and I, which houses the spirit of our creator. So in essence, what we are to be doing is exemplifying what that spirit is living inside of us. We are to be a walking, talking, expressing, giving, loving type of person. Amen? The spirit of God is what transforms us to be able to be able to express who it is that we say we believe in. If we were to go down the statement of faith and say, this is what I believe according to this, this is what I say according to this, but are we acting it out as the church? I want us to think about these two distinctions today because the church building on Sunday morning was never meant to be our primary source of, in, of spiritual income. The church building, the, the church itself, if you read in the book of Acts, when the church actually happened and it began to be birthed, when the Gentiles began to receive, and, and, or when the church was birthed, they began to actually meet in homes and they would read the five, first five books of the Old Testament. They would sing psalms and, and they would have communion with one another. They would break bread with one another. The Bible says that they actually enjoyed the favor of all the people in the land because there was this this group of people that had been united by hope, they had been united by grace, they had been united by forgiveness, they had been united by redemption. And because of that, there was this favor amongst the community where they would leave the homes. And think about it, if you will. How can you receive favor of the people in your lives around you if you stay in what you're learning and singing in the church house? They received the favor of the community around them where their church was and where they met in a home because what they did is they took it outside of where they heard and what they did on Sunday morning. So then you have in the New Testament, Paul, he writes these letters to the church and they begin to read these letters actually in an amphitheater because at this point in time, the church had actually grown outside to where there was too many people to be housed in a home. The church building only exists to actually house more people. So this is, this is important for us to make this distinction. And this is the reason why it's important for us to protect becoming over-familiar with the presence of God is because we begin to become lackadaisical and apathetic in our journey with God. If I think about it, I would, I would maybe parallel it to somebody who's married. And for all of us couples that are married and you're on your way to marriage, this happens in marriage. You become over-familiar with each other. You become over-familiar with each other's presence. You begin to say, oh, this is just my house. This is where we come and we kind of have dinner. We talk about inspirational things, but there's really no life happening. There's really nothing good happening amongst us. There's really no life transformation happening and developing within us. And I know this is true because this is, this is routine in the world today. One morning, um, I wanted to just stretch my legs and, and use it as an opportunity to go 
buy my wife some flowers. There's a, a Vons right down the street. Um, but my pastor, he encouraged me. I remember one Sunday morning he said, whenever you take your wife flowers, you should actually explain to her why you're giving her those flowers. Like it's one thing to just be like, oh, thank you, and then just walk away. Like you know why, you know why I brought them for you. Right, but I've I've since then challenged myself to actually bring the flowers and say, "Babe, this is because of this, this, and this," and to have that moment of transformation where we begin to discuss the development of our marriage and the growth of our marriage. And this morning, this morning that I was I was walking the flowers home, it was fairly early, and I, I wake up fairly early in the mornings, and there was this lady parked on the side of the the road, ready to I think. Um, go to go to us to work and she like rolled down her window and she she leans out because I'm walking on this side and she literally had to kind of get almost onto the other seat she was like boy you must have done something real bad huh routine this is what happens in our relationship with God there's somebody looking next to the next seat and there you look over and see a person crying must have did something real bad, huh? It's expression. This is, this is what happens when we allow our, 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 our walk with God and our relationships with God to not become over-familiar. You see, and, and, and the trouble with thing, and, and, and this is, I believe, happens more so with people who have been in church for a very long time, and, and, and especially leaders, and, and I count myself in this moment, but, and, and this is what I wrote down, is that what... But what happens is the, the, the importance of protecting our heart with our journey with God is because as the seasons of life change and shift and, and, and our faith is tested, the book of Proverbs says, above all else, guard your heart. Guard your heart. And the reason why it's important for us to remember this is because sometimes we forget that what we're a part of is bigger than the part that we play. Because we want the favor of God without submitting to the obedience of God. We want the peace of God without submitting to the voice of God. We want the restoration and healing of God without submitting to the healing process of God. And you see, I believe that this is somewhat happened with Usa in the scripture. And I can imagine everybody's dancing, everybody's celebrating, everybody's super joyful. They're taking back the ark of God, the presence of God, back to the place where it belonged. It had been neglected for years. And here you have Usa just kind of, if it's me and I'm the person who's supposed to be guarding this wagon, my attention should have been looking ahead to be able to know, hey, there's a rock coming. Let's, uh, let's, let's prepare for the rock. Let's prepare for that part of the road that's actually going to probably disrupt the process of where we're heading. But Usa probably, I believe, lost track of where he was going, and he became over-familiar with the presence of God. And so what happened is that when the correction of God actually came from him losing focus, he then failed to his death. And sometimes I believe that happens in us, church, is that we actually lose our focus because we have become over-familiar with the presence of God. And so how do we protect our heart from becoming over familiar with God's house. In your outline, Psalm 69, verse 9, it says, I am consumed with you, the psalmist says. 
completely devoted to protecting or serving your house. The Apostle Paul says in his letter to the church in Rome when he's describing the gifts of the church, he says, if your gift is to serve, serve well. Another way to describe it is saying, if your gift is to serve, then serve consistently and do so with a genuine spirit. You ever go to a restaurant where the server is just terrible? Where you just know like, man, you, I, I appreciate that this is what you're doing for a living, but like you chose to do this, okay, for one. And you just kind of feeling like you don't want to serve me right now. I actually was a server for a little bit. I tried it at Chili's. It didn't work for me. I couldn't memorize the menu. Um, so I was like, this isn't for me. Praise God. Older women are hitting on you. And I was like, I, I can't do this. This isn't for me. I, I appreciate the compliment, miss, but um, don't make me spill this drink on you. Um, you know, nobody pinched me or anything like that, but enough to be like, I'm good. I'll make my money some other way. So I went to Chipotle. Um, <clears throat> true story. But this is what happens. We can't serve. I was talking to Matt um, actually one day. He's not here this morning. We're talking about how what it means to serve the God, God's house well. What does it mean to serve well? I, I feel like there's three different people that serve in God's house. There's people who, who are soaring while they're serving, and then eventually they crash. There's people who are serving with a sour spirit that they're like, hey, praise God, and they're like, trip you as you walk by him, you know. And then there's people that just serve well. They just serve consistently because they know that, man, the presence of God has transformed me to a place where I just need to come every single day and be able to serve the house of God well. You see, we can't come to the house of God and, and serve with a sour spirit because what we serve to the people who come to God's house actually becomes spoiled what is planted in their life. And we can't serve with a, with a non-genuine spirit because what happens is there will never be a lasting impression on that person's life who you were supposed to be serving that day. I have a cousin of mine, and I'm not saying it's the, it was the best decision of his life, but he's literally made his living in his entire life in serving at a restaurant, making $300 to $400 a night. No, no kidding. Because we would go out and buy weed with it afterwards, so I know how much money he had in his pocket. <laughs> moment of truth? Come on, let's, let's have our moment of truth. It's all right. Man, come on. Um, but it's because his serving... There was something in him that would actually transform people's lives with him in that hour and a half that he spent with him that they would just say, man, I just got to show generosity to you because you just, you literally transformed my time with you. There's literally something about you that is causing me to express what I desire to express what is inside of me. Amen? How... Um, this happens, and, and so how do we stay as we stay intentional in our relationship and our walk with God as, as we spend time with God, as, as we allow the Holy Spirit to begin to transform us and, and the fruit of the Spirit begins to transform our lives? This is what we begin to serve. We begin to serve the fruit of love, the fruit of joy, the fruit of peace, the fruit of patience, the fruit of kindness, the fruit of goodness. I'm reading the Bible if you don't know that. The fruit of faithfulness, the fruit of gentleness, and self-control. 
and to po- and, and to quote our amazing pastor, the fruit of the the fruit. Grace is not a fruit of the spirit because it is the root of the gospel. Come on, I'm gonna say it again because you didn't catch it. Grace is not a fruit of the spirit because it is the root of the gospel, which means the only way that any of this exists because what we are rooted in, it stems from grace. So whatever transforms and begins to develop in our life, the foundation of it will always be faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Grace through Jesus Christ. Amen. Can I just drop that really quickly? Amen. Number two, how your heart for God's house blesses your house. How your heart for God's house blesses your house. God finds you passionate about his presence. We're going to read Psalm 103, verses 1 through 2. And it says, Oh, my soul, come, praise the Lord with all that is in me. Body, emotions, mind, and will. Every part of who I am. Praise his holy name. Oh, my soul, come, praise the Lord. Sing a song from a grateful heart. Sing and never forget all that God, the good he has done. Never forget all the good that he has done. I annoy my wife extremely in the mornings because I sing at, at, at levels of volume that I shouldn't be singing as she's trying to gather our kids to go to school. And I don't think it's just the volume that I'm singing, but it's also the tone in how I'm singing because I cannot sing um, at all. Um, that's why she's up here singing and I'm uh, the one speaking. But the Bible says that we are to sing unto the Lord a new song. You cannot sing a new song unto the Lord without a fresh spirit. The only way that your spirit stays fresh is by you staying connected to the presence of God. There's two ways that we stay connected to the presence of God, church. Number one is it's privately, and the second is publicly. When we privately spend time with God by sitting in his presence, reading, praying, and singing, That is when intimacy with the presence of God begins to be developed. Because if you wait every single Sunday morning for the intimacy with your relationship with God to be developed, you're always going to leave unfulfilled. And if I can paint a, a, a picture with you for a second, again, in the terms of marriage, I can't expect intimacy with my wife if I'm not spending time with her outside of those moments of intimacy. Hello. There it is. It takes time to be able to develop the intimacy with God. That's what's amazing about what happens privately and publicly is that as you begin to to develop your intimacy and your relationship with God privately, you can then express who God is to you publicly. Publicly is the second way that we are to um, stay passionate about the presence of God. Bob Coughlin writes this about worship. He says, it's important to remember that worship songs are intended to be sung with others who, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I've always struggled with this this thought um, and... uh, 
you know, I've always struggled with this thought about, and I get it, it's, it's maturity, it's development. If, if you're unaware of it, you don't know what to do. You don't know how to express it. You don't know how to um, let, it, let it come out of you. But here's what I always kind of have struggled with, and, and, and maybe it's because I grew up in a church where, um, you know, when a preacher would say something specific, there would oh, it, and there was this lady always in, in the church, um, and I don't even know her name, but I can see her face. I can see her huge hairdo um, in the seat where she would sit. And the pastor, our pastor would say something, and she, at the most quietest moment, she would say, it's in the Word. So I don't know if because I come from like a very expressive type of church where, you know, there was people dancing and there was people clapping their hands and there was people running up around, you know, waving flags. I don't know if that's what it is. I don't think that's what it is. But here's what I always never really quite understood is how his people, and it sounds so simple, it sounds so simple, but how people can be so passionate about what they're passionate outside of church on Sunday morning and scream and hoop and holler at your kid's game or, or, or maybe something that you're a part of. You're, maybe you're a fitness guru and you're on that treadmill and you're like, like that's expression. Nobody runs on the treadmill like 15 minutes. Right? I don't know about you, but I'm like, (laughs) trying to like monitor my breathing. I'm looking at my heart rate. But I never quite understood where, where, and you've heard pastors say this before. It's not me. I'm not an expressive person. I'm not really passionate. I think that's just comes from maybe experience. So I would encourage you today that the more you spend in your time with God alone is, is, is the more comfortable you'll be able to express who he is in your life publicly. That's what this is, church. That's what Sunday morning is. It's about what we've done privately throughout the week amongst ourselves, amongst our life group, where we get to come on Sunday morning and be passionately aware about the presence of God. My wife always asks me, how was worship today? And I'm like, I don't know, because I sit in the front, so I don't know who, I can never see people behind me. And she always gets encouraged by the people who are actually, you know, worshiping and clapping and singing because it's encouraging for her that she's not up here just doing Christian karaoke. And here's, here's here's the paradox of God is that he says for us to have childlike faith but adult maturity when it comes to our faith, when it comes to things that happen in life. One of my favorite times of the day is when I come home from work, and in our house we have a huge window that oversees um, the front the front yard, and I pull up in um, my little hoopty car, the silver bullet as I call it, and my son is in the window waiting for me to walk through the door. Already screaming as loud as he can, Daddy, Daddy. And I walk to that front door, sometimes not feeling the best. But there's something about my presence that causes them to express the joy 
of who I am in their life. Because when we keep a childlike faith, we will never become overfamiliar with the presence of our Heavenly Father. That when we come to the church house on Sunday morning, we would come running, Daddy, thank you for who you've been in my life. Thank you for being faithful and thank you for your protection. Thank you for your willingness to stay with me even when I made poor decisions. Thank you for your goodness that you've provided food for my family to eat. Thank you that I still have my health. Thank you that you are still with me in times of trouble, in times of faith being tested. Thank you, Daddy. And it sounds so weird, but that's what the Bible says. Pastor TJ, he has referenced it before as, as Jesus looked up to the heavens and he said, Abba, Father, is actually more translated as dad, dad. This is what happens when we become passionate about the presence of God. And number three, in closing, you can stand with me. 12, 18, am I okay, Pastor? All right. I'm not him, so I will close once. He gets to close three, three times. But I'm okay with it. He says amazing things, right? Come on, give it up. He's awesome. Number three, how your heart for God's house blesses your house. Number three, you humbly open your heart and home to honor God's house. We read about this person, Obed-Edom, and We haven't really talked about him too much until this point, but who was this Obed-Edom? What was it that the blessing in his life, what did they actually look like for Obed-Edom? In describing the life of Obed-Edom, Richard Spangler writes this. When it came to move the ark to Jerusalem, Obed-Edom had a choice. He could have remained where he was and lived off his past relationship and understanding of God or move with the ark of God, staying in God's presence and in relationship with God. Obed-Edom had a desire for the Lord and moved with God. His desire for the Lord caused him to do whatever it took to be close to the Lord. He became a gatekeeper, a musician, and a doorkeeper for the ark. Due to Obed-Edom's desire and love for the Lord and his faithfulness, God begins again to bless him and promote him. Obed-Edom becomes a worship leader and is mentioned along with Asaph, the chief musician. Obed-Edom and his 68 associates minister regularly before the Lord in worship, yet he still continues to keep the gates. Obed-Edom is not only blessed in ministry and relationship with the Lord, his family is also blessed. God gives him eight sons, man, his poor wife. His sons, I only have one, and I'm like, yeah. His sons and grandsons also worshiped the Lord and were blessed by the Lord. They were all leaders, capable men with strength to do the work. There were 62 men in all. Obed-Edom, along with his other duties, was put in charge of the south gate, and his sons were keepers of the storehouse. Obed-Edom, by his faith, Attitude and actions created a legacy of faith and relationship with the Lord. The Lord was faithful back to Obed-Edom, establishing a legacy 
of generational blessings. The choice we make today in not allowing ourselves to become over-familiar with God by allowing ourselves to stay passionate about the presence of God. It's not just meant for us, but it's meant for our family. Family that we currently live with and our extended family. Maybe you're here today and you say, I don't have kids, I don't have a wife, I don't really have a family. Paul actually says you have a better opportunity to develop in your relationship with God because you actually don't have the responsibilities of being married to a spouse. He actually says you have more time to develop in your walk with God by not being married. But if you need to be married physically, then he says it's better to do so. (laughs) I'll let pastor talk about that next time. Um, around this time last year, um, my family, um, we took Christmas photos and last week on our way to life group, I asked my wife, I said, Hey babe, do you remember the date that we took, um, our Christmas photos last year? And she was like, Oh, I think it was October. And I was like, no, it's November. Cause I keep our family calendar. So I know I just wanted to include her in the conversation. <laughs> so I began to swipe right? Come on. It's, it, we're going to celebrate in a moment. So I began to swipe and began to look up the date, and it was actually November 10th that we had actually taken those photos. So Kenny, would you mind putting that photo up for me, if you will? This is, um, who wears a sweater, right? And it's a sunny day. That This is the only time my wife gets to pick my clothes is when it's Christmas photo time. Um, but This moment right here, I look at the photo, and and we were heading to life group, and I begin to think about the photo. I begin to think about what we were dressed and our smiles and and my son giggling because I was tickling his stomach and and my wife who has a forehead like me because she's squinty and it looks like she's mean, but she's really nice inside. And I begin to think that, man, if people only knew the process on the way to this photo years, years ago. You would look at that photo and not know that two years ago, my wife and I were on the brink of divorce. You would never know by looking at the photo that I didn't know if, if I would ever be able to spend time with my kids on Christmas and Thanksgiving, if, if we were going to have split Christmases and holidays But I tell you, church, that the best decision I ever did was, number one, submit myself to the spiritual voice in my life. God cannot heal and restore what we do not confess and release in our lives. But I tell you what, the generational blessing and the legacy that is connected to that decision for you is monumental. It is worth everything. And the minute redemption steps into your life when we become saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ is the moment that redemption becomes to be inclusive into our lives. And we have to be careful, church, to not become over-familiar with what God's done in our life. I'm not talking about currently, but I'm talking about the first time God found you. We didn't find God. He found us. 
As the old hymn says, I was once lost, I am now found. Your decision today is monumental. To not only realign if you're currently in a season where you need to realign yourself with becoming over familiar, staying passionate with the presence of God, staying humble with the presence of God, and allowing those transformational blessings to flow into your life. Or maybe you're here for the very first time and you've never really had this moment. You've never allowed the story of redemption to enter your spirit. The Bible says in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The Apostle Paul says it this way, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In a moment, I'm going to ask our pastor to come close um, the message and, and, and close in prayer, but I wanted to summarize this in a practical way for us this morning, this message of having a heart for God's house. The favor of God rests over our lives when we stay intentional in our relationship with God and fight becoming over-familiar with his presence. The presence of God fills our heart and lives as we become passionate about his presence. We receive supernatural blessings from God when we humbly invite God into our heart and into our home. Why don't we all close our eyes this morning as our pastor makes his way up to pray over us and lead us in this spiritual time. God, we thank you for your, for your spirit, for your word. I ask that you minister to the heart of your people. If you're here today and this message of God's word has resonated with your heart and perhaps even the transparency of his testimony is ministering to your own season, would you just stretch your hands? Would you just stretch your hands? God, I pray over each and every individual that just stretched their hand, that is a posture of receiving. Would you fill them with the power of your grace and your mercy? Would you touch them and heal them, give them direction? In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name that is above every name, in the name of Jesus Christ. We speak healing, reconciliation, restoration. We speak wholeness. We speak shalom. We speak peace to every broken peace. To the pieces, we speak peace. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Come on, let the church say it. Isn't Jesus amazing? Come on, Abraham. Give it up for Abraham. Didn't he do an amazing job? (laughs) 
I'm a control freak, so I usually get nervous when people speak. But he did so well, I didn't get nervous. So amazing. <laughs> like, oh, wow, the control freak wasn't controlling today. That's amazing. I did good. Amen. Hey, let's put our hands in. I want you guys, before you run out the door and go throughout your week, I want you to connect with even you introverts out there. I want you to connect with somebody. Say, how you doing? My name is, and then you can run on throughout your week. Put your hand in. Jesus on three. One, two, three. Jesus, we love you all so much.